I'm going to miss that walk-up music when it's done, right? I'm just working on giving myself like the most epic as you come up. Make it sound like that. Okay, here's the, uh, it's not a trick question, okay? But it's a question that is designed to make you think, all right? And I will just preface this with, um, I'm married to a science teacher, but I'm a theologian at heart. So, um, I really like the symbolic, and oftentimes my wife has to go like, okay, so like, but how many are there? And I'm like, I don't know, there's either three, 10, or 40. I just, that's how it goes. Uh, but so here's the question, okay? When is a meal not just a meal? And the answer, which is supposed to make you think, is when it's a story. When it's not just a meal, but it is a story. Um, this is actually true of our culture, although um, I think we're kind of losing touch with it. But um, I was born long enough ago that uh, when I was growing up, there was a story associated with Thanksgiving. And it wasn't just a day that we randomly decided everyone has to eat the same green bean casserole, turkey, and yams. Like, it wasn't just this meal, but there was a story behind it. Um, when it comes to Christmas, there's a story. There's a reason that we give gifts, and it's not just that Hallmark got really good at marketing, right? But, but there's a reason that we give gifts. Actually, when I was a kid, uh, we had a tradition of we would take the baby Jesus from the nativity scene, and we would wrap him up in wrapping paper and put him under the tree, and then like put somebody's name on it, because like what's the gift at Christmas? It's Jesus, right? There, there's a reason. There's a story. Maybe even, I don't know where hot dogs factor into like the patriotism of 4th of July, but maybe there's a reason we do hot dogs on that day, but the fireworks for sure, right? There's a story. And when Jesus had T minus 12 hours left in his life, he was T minus 12 hours from the cross. What did Jesus give his disciples? Did he give them the manifesto that he had written? The book of Jesus, here you go. The, the theological treatise, the blog post. Guy didn't even post on Facebook. What did he give them? He gave them a meal. And so when is a meal not just a meal? When it's a story. And what we're going to be looking at today, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, and we'll start with verse 17. So if you're keeping score on your Bible, go ahead, open up to that. Um, and this will either be, actually, I think it is. Like, this is the longest communion presentation that Ben will allow to happen this year, because it's, it's a sermon, but like, what are we talking about? Maybe you guessed. We're talking about communion. Um, there's a, a chapter in a theology book that we are, we're actually the youth pastors of Dallas. We are on a rotation now of teaching the weekday school of the Bible, and we're taking them through this book um, called Core 52, which is like 52 major things that if you can get your head around it, you'll completely understand the Bible. And one of the chapters, I love the title for this, um, because it's the best way to phrase a theological conversation, but the name of the chapter is, what's with the snack we eat during church? 
I think that's a valid question. What is with the snack that we eat during church? Because um, I can tell you that from a nutritional level, it's a little lackluster, right? Like just a little bit of juice, a little bit of something that once resembled bread, like some cellophane on top of it. Why do we do this? And why is that something that is so important to us? Actually, so in, in 2020, um, when we were shut down and we were streaming online, um, it was so important to us. We did not cut communion out of our service because we thought this is so integral to who we are as a church and what we do when we gather um, that it really wasn't even discussed. And actually, there were people in our church that were so dedicated, they would, they would show up and drop off little Ziploc bags with the communion. And we like had our own little, like Jeff Bezos, eat your heart out. We had our own little Amazon drop-off system going like, here's your communion, here's a coloring page, like here's church. Because at Dallas Church, uh, church is not just a video that you watch, right? It is, it is an experience and it is something we live and something we do because here's, here's the deal, people. Like, if you Google really hard, you might be able to find a preacher better than Ben out there. Somewhere, if you Google really, really, really hard, maybe you'll find someone better than... No, but, uh, like, <laughs> you'll find a worship band, right? Hillsong, like, they're putting their stuff out there. But there's something about flesh and blood, something about people, being together, and this thing that we do where we eat the weird snack during church. So let's pray and open our hearts to what God would do as we explore this time together. Father God, we are thankful for so many things. God, I'm sure that all of us can think of at least one thing right now that we are thankful for. God, we are grateful that you have given that to us. God, we are stressed about many things in our life. And Jesus, I know that all of us can think of at least one thing that is putting pressure on our life in some area. And God, I just would say, would you show up for us? Would you show us that you haven't given up on us? Jesus, would you move and speak to our hearts as we look at your word today? It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, the first day I took communion, October 6th, 2002, Norkensie Christian Church in Eugene, and I was sitting in the second row from the front, and that was also the day I got baptized, uh, because when I was growing up, my parents taught me that you could have communion after you got baptized, and uh, I'm sure that I had snuck some communion at some point in my nine years of going to church. At some point, it had been passed around, but this was my very first time. And so I'm sitting there, my grandma is sitting next to me, and they are passing the plate, bread comes on through, the little cup of juice, they're on these little kind of, you know, brass plates, and I was like, nine years you've been holding me back, guys. Nobody's stopping me today. I was going to be baptized after the next song, and so I just reached out and I grabbed it and I ate it, and I took the cup and I was like... 
And then the pastor said, and today we'll do something special. <laughs> where we hold the cup and the bread and we take it together. And my grandma looked at me. And I was like, well, this is embarrassing. Which is also not that weird of an experience for me. So embarrassed in church, that's how I live my life. Uh, but, but what's your earliest memory of communion? Maybe you got confirmed. Maybe you took first communion. I don't know. We all have different backgrounds. And actually, it's kind of interesting that communion is supposed to unify us, right? It's communion, not come fight all together about different theological perspectives. But if you took 10 pastors, put them in a room, and asked for their opinion on communion, how many opinions would you get? Like 12, I like that. Ooh, ooh, you're preaching next week. That's how this goes. Uh, but no, you would, yeah. And it's so interesting, this thing that is supposed to unify us. And, and John Ellingson, one of our elders, even pointed out, he's like, so communion draws us back to one event, but we got gluten-free, we got wine, we got juice. How American of us. Huh. When I was 19, um, there was a pastor I was working for, and I remember the first time he told me this, I did not believe it. I eventually came around. But the first time he told me this, he said, Andrew, the, the most important part of the church service is communion. It's not the sermon. And that's not permission for you to go get coffee or, you know, walk out right now. But the, the high point of what we do when we gather together is this weird little snack that we eat together during church. Why? Because Jesus gave it to us. There's not that many things that Jesus explicitly looked his disciples in the eye and says, okay, this is what you're going to do. Like a lot of it is very vague. Like a lot of it is love your neighbor. Okay, well, what does that mean? But baptize, celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. It's this thing and we're still doing it. 2,000 years later, very far removed. And why does it still matter? Well, because it's not just a weird snack we eat during church. It's our story. It's not just a meal. It's the story that we believe. So um, let's look at how this came about and what Jesus did with his disciples on that very first um, Lord's Supper. Uh, verse 17, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And, and what we do when we read the Bible is we keep one foot planted in the 21st century where we think about our world with iPads and the internet and all kinds of stuff, but we also take another foot and we put it in the world of the first century. We put it in the dust of Jerusalem. And, and we got to think about, like, what, what did this mean to them when they read this? And when those two simple words, right, two simple things, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover are mentioned, like, the good Jewish children are uploading all of these memories that are coming 
to their mind because the Jewish festivals were actually this really cool children's ministry curriculum where they learned through these experiential learning activities the stories of what God had done, which I think is a, like a lot cooler than getting a coloring page. Like, let's go backpacking for a week, and I will tell you about how God looked after the people of Israel. So Feast of Unleavened Bread was seven days where they would eliminate yeast from their diet, um, not because gluten, but because of the fact that the people of Israel had been told when they were slaves in Egypt, God was going to deliver them, and he did not check with their calendar. He did not look to see if they had soccer games on Saturdays. He said, guys, we're going. It's happening now. I'm moving, and you got to move with me. And so they did. They left. And so there's this feast that they, they do to commemorate it. And then the Passover was um, the, the first of this Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it was commemorating a very specific story. And it was the story of, well, the Passover, duh. Like, but it was the story of God's people. They were slaves in Egypt, and they were oppressed by the most powerful nation in the world. And Moses is raised up by God. He goes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so then God goes mano y mano with all of the gods of Egypt with all of these plagues. Like this is not just because God's playbook has frogs and rivers and blood and all kinds of weird stuff in it. It's because God is very specifically dismantling the systems that Egypt used to oppress his people. And then when it comes to the very last plague, like what's the very last thing? And God over and over again is like, Pharaoh, are you gonna give in? And Pharaoh says, no. Pharaoh, are you gonna give in? Pharaoh says, no. Until finally, it's the death of the firstborn. And there's a, a destroying angel that's going to go through Egypt and kill all the firstborns unless you kill a lamb. And um, I'm sorry if you're squeamish because I, I just like in this sermon, I'm going to talk about blood all over the place, right? But like they take the lamb and they take the blood and they paint it over their doorpost so that when the destroying angel comes through, they, it moves over, it passes over the people, and they are saved from destruction. And if that story doesn't disturb you, you've been in church too long. If that story doesn't make us go, whoa, that's weird. God, what are you up to? Then we're not reading the Bible with fresh enough eyes. And, and it's in the middle of this story um, that God gives them this Passover where they were supposed to eat the lamb, eat the bread, and have like a feast and a party because they're getting saved. They're getting out of Dodge. And so for 1,500 years, the people of Israel would celebrate the Passover meal. And when they did that, each generation was identifying with the first generation that said, God showed up for us. When we were downtrodden, when we had our backs against the wall, when no one else cared about us, God saw his kids and said, I show up for my people, and I'm going to make a way. And so in the middle of this story, um, they're going to celebrate the Passover, and this is no accident that it is this moment that is T minus 12 hours from Jesus dying on a cross. This is on purpose. 
This is not, this is not by happenstance. Guys, we've been talking about Matthew since January. And how many times has Jesus said, it's not my time, it's not my time, it's not my time. Mom, don't ask me to make wine, it's not my time. But what does he say here? He says, go to the city, to a certain man, and tell him, the teacher says, my time is near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. And so the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. And when evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. And he replied, the one who dipped his hand in the bowl with me, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And Judas, the betrayer, replied, surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus says, well, you have said it. And I remember as a kid, I watched like the cartoon where, where Jesus says, whoever dips his hand in the bowl with me, he is the one that will betray me. And then in the cartoon, like Judas walks up and dips in the bowl. And then the disciples are like, what? Who is it? And I'm like five going like, duh, he's right there. <laughs> but... But this is actually a really vague statement, because in celebrating the Passover, they have all dipped in the bowl. They've all taken part in this. And if you want a deep dive on Judas's motivation or kind of what goes into that, that was last week's episode. So refer to the great theologian Ben Bauman and subscribe to the Dallas Church podcast and YouTube channel, all that good stuff. So go look at that, because um, I got somewhere I'm going with this communion sermon. So let's keep trucking. Um, so as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, this is really weird unless you can back it up. Because what Jesus does is he like plops in the middle of Thanksgiving, plops in the middle of Christmas, and imagine this, like when my family on December 25th sits around the tree and my adorable two-year-old daughter is dismantling all of the uh, you know, presents that have been given her so she can play with the box and not the toy. But anyways, like as this is happening, I stand up to my family and say, I'm so glad you're all gathered together today to remember what a gift I am to you. And just as you give gifts on this Christmas morning, just remember how great I am and what I do in your life. And my brothers would say, yeah, that sounds about par for the course. That's how this goes. No, but that's weird. And unless you can back it up, it's a weird statement. And Jesus makes this weird statement because he can back it up. He gives them the bread, which represents his body. And just like the bread was 
kind of abused to become a loaf of bread, right? Like you made bread before, like it's smashed, it's pushed everywhere, it's put in an oven. And Jesus says that's symbolic because that's what's going to happen to me. He says this is the cup, which is my blood, which is gross. And also highly symbolic because you weren't ever supposed to drink blood. There's actually something that kind of bugs me in Christian songs because they're like, are you washed in the blood? And I'm like, wait, no, like nowhere in the Bible do we wash something with blood. You get washed in water. Blood is the life force. It is the essence. It is, it is the whole thing that is given. And Jesus says this blood will cover you to save you from destruction just like the blood of the lamb. Now, here's an interesting thing, um, and I say it's interesting because it's interesting to me, and I don't care whether you think it's interesting or not, but uh, <laughs> the, the way the gospel authors outline this, they actually have some interesting things they do with the timeline because it's entirely possible that Jesus is celebrating this Passover awkwardly early with his disciples because the way that John says it is that they, they celebrate the Passover Thursday night which is how we kind of conceive of it. And we say, okay, you know, whatever. I'm used to Passovers. That's how you do it. But they celebrate it Thursday night because the next day, the lambs are getting killed for the Passover. During Friday afternoon, um, the women stay home and they make the bread and they cut the herbs and they set the table and they get the wine and the men take the lambs to the temple and the lambs are killed and shed their blood to remind them of this story of God moving and saving them. So here's my question. What's missing from this Passover feast? Jesus gave his disciples bread. He gave them a cup. Guys, this is like not having turkey at Thanksgiving dinner. What's missing? The lamb. Except the lamb is handing them the cup, right? Like that's like right at the beginning of Early in the Gospels, John the Baptist looked at Jesus, said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes this story that they knew, and he says, here's the new story. This is my new covenant. And just like for the last 1,500 years, we have celebrated the Passover, and every generation of Israelite has remembered, they have identified with the first generation, so they take this meal and they celebrate it. Well, 2,000 years, every Christian has taken the meal of communion and we identify with the first generation of disciples. Because Jesus says, this is the culmination. This is the new covenant. And, and when I say covenant, like nobody's mouth hits the floor. Nobody's gasping. Nobody's like, wow, this is mind blowing. Because we don't think in terms of covenants, but man, in the first century, them's fighting words. Covenant is everything. What did it mean to be an Israelite? It meant to be the people of the covenant, the agreement. It meant to be the ones that God went to go and save. This is how Jeremiah outlines it. He says in Jeremiah 31, he says, Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the land of Judah. And the one uh, will, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand 
to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. This is the new covenant. 700 years before Jesus, they're talking about this. In the book of Ezekiel, the way that they outline the new covenant is the prophet Ezekiel said that God will reach into the heart and pull out the heart of stone and the hardness of heart. Instead, he will put in a heart of flesh. This is what the whole story has been leaning up to. And so in, in this moment, with this meal, Jesus gives them a new story. And I've got a, I've got a slide with a table to compare them because we get the new story. Our story, this is you and me, 21st century, we were enslaved to sin. We lived in an oppressive, dark world. Just like Israel, they were enslaved to Egypt. God moved to rescue us. That's called your testimony. The story of how God showed up in your life and made you into a new person. And just like God showed up to rescue them, Jesus' death, it provides deliverance, just like the lamb provided deliverance for the Israelites. And we respond to Jesus as Lord, just like they accepted Yahweh as Lord. And we await... The next line, what Jesus says, he says, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We look forwards, and in a dark world, we look forwards to a Savior that puts things right. And that gives me a lot of hope. That gives me something to do with the weirdness and the darkness that I see in the world. Because I say... I know Jesus is coming back, and that's above my pay grade. Just like Israel awaited the Messiah, this is our story. And do you know what we call that story? The gospel. The good news. That God has our backs. That when our backs are against the wall, God shows up, and he makes a way. That God loves us, that he saves us. And it is a slippery thing for me to not let this become just like the churchy thing that I grew up in Sunday school knowing. But I want to metabolize this. I want, I want to take it into my being. I want it to become a part of me and how I live. And I actually, I haven't, I haven't looked into this. I should ask my science teacher wife this. But uh, I don't know how long like when we take communion on Sunday, how long do the calories stay in our bloodstream? Like how long does it take for us? Because as we go get in our car, like it's in us. We're digesting the communion. But our hope is that from a spiritual level, beyond a metabolic level, when we take this meal together, we're saying the gospel comes inside of us and then we carry it out into our lives and we live it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And that's why we do it all the time. 
because we need the reminder because we need to be the people of God. When we take communion, we are looking backwards to the history of what God has always done for his people. We are looking forwards to the return of Christ and our hope in this world. And we look inward to say, God, what are you doing in my heart right now? What are you calling me to be? Where are you calling me to go? And we look outward for places and people that need redemption, that need hope, that need the message of God. And that's the ballgame, folks. That's why we do it over and over again. That's why, and I will invite you as we do the next song, come on up, take the cellophane, the juice, the bread, and we celebrate communion because this is our story. That God shows up, even in the middle, and this is where it gets kind of interesting, because what does Peter do? Like, even in the middle of human unfaithfulness, there's a faithful God. Because like Judas, he's a rotten egg, we know that. But Peter says, Jesus, I'm going to stick with you. He says, even if everyone falls away, I will never fall away. And that's kind of sickening if you know what happens, right? Because Peter is unfaithful. He denies. He denies Jesus. And does that mean he's out of here? Get out of here, Peter. We're done with you? No. There's always a path back. And God is faithful even when humans are unfaithful. And so maybe there's even a lesson in there because how many of us, like we've taken communion on a Sunday, and then what do we live on Monday? You ever manifested some unfaithfulness to the covenant of God? And by that, I mean screwed up. Because I have. And we believe in hope. We believe in a God that can use us despite that. So here's the big idea. And maybe it sounds weird, and I'm doing that on purpose so you think about it. Let's eat the story. As we take communion, we eat the story so that we can live the story. And we take the gospel with us, and we live hope. We do this in our houses where we live. Maybe you're taking care of an aging parent. Maybe you've got adult children living at home with you. Maybe you've got a toddler that won't let you take a nap when you really want to take a nap. But what does the gospel say to that situation? Maybe you've got a coworker. Anybody got coworkers? First service didn't raise their hand either. And there's no coworkers in the world anymore. I don't understand. <laughs> but maybe the gospel has something to say about that situation. Um, if I can really step on toes, there are some yard signs around Dallas about homelessness and how we deal with that. And I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but here's the question I would ask of all of us. Have we thought about what the gospel would ask us to do? Have we thought about maybe what God wants to do in some of those situations? So here's some baby steps, okay? I would invite you, take some communion after, uh, after we pray here. Or maybe as you build your understanding of the gospel, maybe you need to just immerse yourself in the story of God. If you have not read the Bible... Um, or even kind of gotten the big story 
of the Bible. There are resources to do that. Actually, one of our little action steps today is we've got handouts with our top resources of apps or books or podcasts to just kind of help you get your head around the story of what God does in the Bible because, not so that you can just like rattle off Bible facts or feel really spiritual for that day, but because we believe that if we marinate our minds and our souls in the story of God, it will come out our hands in the way that we live our life. And that maybe God will show you some cool things that he wants to do in your life. Maybe with some of those co-workers, maybe with some of those places where we live or work or play. What would God have for us in those places? And, and if you, maybe you have read the Bible before and you're like, okay, Andrew, I've got my rhythm like locked in. I've got some personal study. Here's the next step. You ready for really scary step number two? But I believe in you. You can do it. Maybe you offer to pray for someone. Andrew, I can't do that. You're in church. Where else are you going to do that? No, but, but we offer to pray for someone because when we do that, what are we saying? What's the story? We say this situation is out of my control, but I believe in a God who shows up for people when their back is against the wall. I believe in a God who can speak life and hope into a situation. Um, I'll go real quick through this story, and I promise it goes somewhere. But I bought a Nintendo Switch off of Craigslist. And as I was going out the door, like I, I was having a terrible day. I was in really stinking thinking mode. And as I'm heading out the door, my wife looks me in the eye and says, have fun going out among the lost, honey. I was like, what? <laughs> and she goes, well, you've been talking about this. Are you going to pray for that person? You, you preach this all the time, Andrew. Are you going to actually do it? I was like, I don't know. He's got some guy off Craigslist. Like, he doesn't want me to pray for him. But I, I go to the ATM, get the money, show up, do the deal, buy myself a Nintendo Switch. And at the end, um, I look this guy in the eye, and I say, I'm a person of prayer, and I believe that God does stuff. Is there something I could pray for in your life? And he could have said, and many times people have looked at me and been like, nah, I'm good. Okay. But this guy said, he, he's like, well, I'm selling the switch because I just moved out and I need some money. And so I prayed. A prayer I sometimes pray for myself. God, give this guy more money. Like, I, like <laughs> I'm praying for this guy. And no joke, I'm like, God, show up and provide for his needs. Because I believe in a God that provides for his people when their backs are against the wall. That's the gospel, guys. That's what we're declaring. And so I wonder if we can become a church that can speak the gospel fluently, that can live the gospel in many different situations. And so I would challenge you, as you take communion, maybe you got some time with the Lord. We've got these little sticky notes on the chairs, all around you, on the tables. And on the sticky note, there's two questions. Number one is, what is your I will? What is your action step that you will do to live out this story that we just said? Because the word of God is meant to go into our heads and into our hearts and out of our hands and to change the way that we live. And then another question, who needs to hear the gospel? 
And I say that not in a super churchy way, just in a very real life way. Who needs to know that God shows up for people when their back is against the wall? I don't know. Let's see what God does. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We are grateful that you gave so generously of yourself. Jesus, we are grateful for your body broken and your blood shed for us so that we can have hope and forgiveness. And Jesus, we are grateful for resurrection and the fact that you make dead things live. Jesus, help us to be your people in a way that changes this world, in a way that we love you well. Amen.